Welcome to episode 315 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. So is, is the sky all red and crusty in Seattle these days? I heard Oregon's getting bad. Uh, Eastern Washington is getting stuff. Uh, when I went outside, it was just hazy. Um, when you looked in that direction, you could sort of smell it. But but I imagine for Mark, uh, you must be closer to yeah. No, I, I went outside today and it was orange. Just really? looking around. Yeah, I heard Big Sur is burning. Is that true? Uh, big, uh, maybe. There's. I know there's one. Uh, there's a. There's a big one kind of around Yosemite. Um, so Big Sur yeah. is on the coast. So I'm, it's possible. Because well, yeah, Jane Jane Fonda was on uh, being interviewed on the radio today, and you never know with radio if it was like a live or it was done two weeks ago or whatever. But yeah, she mentioned that Big Sur was burning. Hmm. So I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, I just I, I thought it ironic <laughs> that you know with Apple on the on the, the brink of releasing Big Sur has chosen a place that's like on fire, literally. Halt and catch fire, eh, honey? Yeah, I'm looking on a map right now. I don't see... Well, maybe so. Yeah, there is one little flame marker right around there. Wow. Yeah. They have like a map now showing where where the fire is? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, man, I clicked on this link that you sent out. Now I got this Apple thing stuck to my wall. It won't go away. The the event thing that has the little AR Easter egg? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was the one who posted that. Yeah. Is an Easter egg in it? If you look on your phone or whatever? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've seen it on my iPad and I've seen it on my iPhone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure it doesn't work on macOS. I was complaining to Tim that it's, I got this thing stuck to my wall now. It won't go away. Yeah. Oh, on your wall. Did you do that? Did you did you take it far enough, Jaime? To it actually will it actually place it doesn't just kind of move around. It places it on the on a wall if you if you move your phone around enough. Yeah, I saw, I saw people playing with it on online. I wonder what what how they got that. Let me see. This is under MTGC, right? <laughs> how did you get the How did you get the Easter egg? I don't get it. Uh, you got to tap on the the little logo, the little squiggly icon that's there for squiggly design. All right. Did you look if we have any ask MTJC, honey? I looked and it doesn't appear as if we do. And I didn't see anything uh, notable that people were asking or, or commenting on in the, the Friends of the Show. Friends of the Show channel. We, had, had, you know, stuff that people were saying, but nothing that seemed like uh, a particular topic to bring forth to the, the broader crew. Right. Well, they were all getting excited about the upcoming thing that we'll talk about later. And Palo Alto's lucky day. Well, all right. Um, all right. Well, we don't have any, any uh, ask me to do here. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't do any fact check either. So I don't, I don't know if we did we make any. I guess we had no, no mistakes, right? If there's no fact check, there's no errors. The, the rule, I think. That's the rule, yeah. yeah. Well, Greg Greg wasn't very vocal this week, so I don't know if there was any fact. Oh, um, off you go with the uh, follow-up then, I guess. Yeah, first one relates to something we talked about that uh, iOS 14 was going to have that big um, breaking change for the IDFA, the Identifier for Advertiser. Uh, turns out, not so much, at least uh, not immediately, to be more specific. So rather than being enforced right at the time an iOS 14 launches, presumably later this very month of September, um, It'll be you know, early next year in 2021 when uh, when the big hammer will come down. Uh, and this article we have linked uh, in the show notes for those of you driving at home comes from Ars Technica, and it, it really uh, paints Facebook as being sort of the main driver. But I don't know that that's explicitly fair, even though they certainly uh, made a, a big stink about it. But the entire ad industry as a whole is is um, you know quaking in its arms. boots over the impact of this, right? And and I actually listened to um, the most recent episode of uh, Release Notes 
that uh, Charles Perry and friend of this, well, well, I guess both friends of the show, Charles Perry and uh, Joe Chemlinski had, uh, oh my gosh, I, I should know this answer. Here's a fact check out. I don't remember the name of the person they were talking to, but uh, <laughs> they were from Revenue Cat and talking about uh-huh. some of the, the impacts of why this was very specifically a big change for identifiers uh, being used. Was that David Bernard they were talking to? That sounds familiar. I'm going to take your word for it. I, I'm sure I can I'm looking at their it. show notes right now, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was a good discussion. Um, uh, pretty reasonably fair. Granted, the source is somebody who's you know sort of notionally vested in the idea of something like the IDFA continuing to, to be useful. Um, but the, the general gist is that the hope is that Apple will come up with something that is not only you know, privacy-centric, but isn't quite as uh, big a pendulum swing of like, well, now you can't get anything. And, and what does that right. mean for your, your, or your advertising budget? You know, how will you effectively uh, track that you are spending it wisely? Which is you know, a fair question. I think even people who are uh, indies out there who, who aren't trying to to, you know, dig into people's personal lives and just want to know, hey, I, I spent some dollars on Instagram app install ads. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it useful or was I just throwing money down the toilet? I, you know, that's that's true. That, that's throwing baby out with the bathwater that hopefully with the extra time, Apple will have uh, a good balance, even though I'm definitely personally hoping for, you know, not so much of a loss on the privacy aspect, because I think that was something that uh, was, was really a big part of what iOS 14 was going to have. So it's kind of like I... Uh- um, app transport security coming in iOS 9 if you remember they were going to you know shut everybody down who wasn't using PLS 1.2 and proper ciphers and stuff like that and and I don't think that's ever really been enforced even though they, they yeah. talked about it. For a while they were saying 9. they were going to turn off that allow what is it allow arbitrary downloads yeah, exactly. right? Yeah exactly. And yeah, they never yeah. turned that off. No and, and you know I'm, and that said I mean the industry has sort of cleaned up its act to a certain extent but uh, but you know it's not really become a huge thing I mean you know, to this day. But so can we just sort of cover off what this new iOS 14 feature is about? Like in terms of what, what are the, how is, how is Apple getting into the, like blocking the privacy? And I'm also disturbed by this image because they got on their their article because I looked at it and went, where do they get these phones from? Right? Because it's like a iPhone 8 and a 10s and a 10SR Max. It's like a really old image, right? But so, but this WWDC thing that they talked about with the, with IDFA, what what does it do? You know? So the, the big change coming in, in iOS 14 was an explicit pop-up to the user saying, hey, this app is trying to use the IDFA to track you, allow or deny. Right. Which, oh, okay. if, if you are a normal person, you'd be like, what? Hello. No, yeah. I don't want people to track me. You know, just the, even the phrasing of it uh, can prompt people to, to opt out. And in some industry um, research, it was upwards of you know, 50 to 70 some percentage of people in their tests who would opt out. Uh, presumably, these were user research tests to see, you know, what would you do in this situation sort of thing. And um, that has a real dramatic impact on your your advertising spend. If you're you're somebody who, uh, you know, is trying to advertise for your, uh, let's say, like your your apps as an example. Uh, but it also means for, for people who sell uh, advertising space, like the Facebooks and Googles of the world, it has a dramatic uh, potential to, to impact their, um, you know, their, their revenue. So it, it definitely hits them in the wallet. And so there's, um, you know, uh, enough of, of an impact and, and a very, very 
sizable one that it seems like Apple has taken the more pragmatic approach of like, all right, well, let's give them, you know, not just the three months of like, surprise, we told you this thing in June. And I really hope you completely uh, revamped your entire industry within these most recent three months um, during the beta cycles. And like, all right, they say early 2021, I would guess it'd probably be like March. So you've effectively had, you know, six to nine months to figure it out. And then, okay, iOS 14 version, you know, X, a uh, minor version, version X will go ahead and, and slam the door shut and say, all right, I hope you figured it out because we've given you enough time to, to do so. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. I mean, like if, if Apple is already capitulating on this, will they will they continue to uh, cave? I mean, I, the sad part about it is advertising is what puts uh, food on the table for a lot of industries. I mean, like, you know, all these years we've been watching television. I mean, even Douglas Adams, who was, you know, famous for writing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all that kind of stuff. And he talked about being a television writer back in the day. And the purpose of writing television show wasn't to have a fence, you know, amazing. You know, had an, of course, he was an amazing science fiction writer and, you know, great compelling stories and stuff like that. But the main purpose of what he was doing was to put advertise, put people in front of advertisers. That's what television was about back in, in the 70s when he was doing this stuff, right? Or 70s and 80s, I guess. But uh, advertising is a huge part of, of, of how the world burns, right? So, you know, uh, and, you know, cutting out and, and right now, you know, we've all turned away from televisions and, and billboards and radios to we're now looking at, you know, square boxes in our palms, right? Um, that's where the, the, you know, and we're switching over to, to Netflix's and the Hulu's and whatever. There's no advertising dollar there, right, for, for people, right? Um, you know, like right now, we wouldn't be watching professional sports if it wasn't for advertising, right? You know, like, they, why would they even bother? I mean, you, you guys look at it and go, oh, look, the football game is on, right? But the reality is the football game is on to bring advertising to you. It's a tough, a tough, um, tough decision to make. I, I get the whole, you know, protecting people's privacy and stuff like that, but uh, I, I, I mean, the tracking is evil, don't get me wrong, but, but the whole idea of putting an advertisement in front of you is to entice you to buy some service or product, right? And it's it's tough to do that without um, if the main way of delivering that is taken away. Yeah, I think one thing that, uh, and maybe this is covered uh, as I'm recording this episode, um, they've only released part one of the interview uh, on release notes. I wonder if part two ends up covering this, but one thing I would say is that we should split apart the two different ideas of advertising being a thing in general mm-hmm. versus being able to have very highly targeted, very surgical uh, selection of ads. Because the one thing that kept sort of echoing in the back of my mind is, yeah, that's great. We can you've made a claim here that, you know, um, people need to know how effective their advertising spend is, right? Like like indies in particular who don't have massive budgets. All right, fair. But that doesn't really explain the the need to have tracking like an IDFA, right? Because I would say, well, in the real world, we have analogies for this. So like, well, how does Coca-Cola know that it's being effective in spending when it advertises on a TV show that doesn't have tracking uh, or on a radio show like on NPR? that doesn't have tracking. Even better, uh, what about billboards? Is that wasted money? I mean, just, do people have no clue what's going on there? Like, nobody knows how many people, if anybody, even looks up from the sidewalk uh, to, to see a billboard. And yet, and yet, th- those industries still continue to move on, right? So I think this gets, gets to the sort of a more fundamental thing of like, uh, you kind of need to step back and say, well, what if the IDFA went completely away and nothing replaced it? Now what? Not that I'm defending advertisers. I don't mean to do that. But the theory is that 
uh, the more that they can target the advertising, the the and I, I I get it that you know this is not necessarily true, but this is the claim that it the more they target, the more beneficial it is for the user because the cost for the advertiser to reach you goes way down because instead of them having to show this particular thing, whatever the thing is, to a million people to reach ten people, now they only have to show it to if it's in a perfect you know perfect system, they only have to show it to ten people to reach ten people and because it costs them less, in theory, they can pass that cost savings on to you. Now, in reality, is is that true? Probably not, but that is kind of the theory behind it. Uh, so it, it's a it's a tough one because it, it, it is true that that uh, the more scattered it is, you know, the, putting up a big billboard, it, it does cost a lot more than than pushing out uh, these things. And and uh, yeah, it, it, it is a tough one. Yeah. Well, I mean, traditional conventional advertising. I mean, like the whole idea you have you had to. Re- repeatedly expose people to to the message right so either you had to you had to put the billboards everywhere or you had to replace that art that that ad over and over again like in the case of magazine advertisements they would put an ad in they would run an ad like 12 times over a year or, or not 12 times but they would have to show it a number of times before you started to build a, you know a recognition and go oh I, I yeah that that pepsi thing oh yeah I, I remember seeing that pepsi thing somewhere else and then you know and and literally what you're doing is reading the same copy of the same magazine over and over again but and the way that they would ca- ca- gather the information about how successful an ad was. Was they would they would take a sample audience and they would send them a survey and they would ask them, "Do you remember seeing this product? Where do you where did you see it? What does it make you think of?" You know, and they would do those do those kind of things to sort of you know try and reverse engineer the the, the benefit of the exposure, right? And whether or not people bought things or they used the coupons or whatever to buy the things. It was a very sort of you know labor intensive me- mechanical method. The advantage we have now with all this nefarious ability to track is, you know, they can put an ad on a, on a website or they can put an ad on, in an iPhone or, or an ad, you know, ad mob or whatever um, on Facebook or what have you, and they can actually get back metrics. That that stuff is gold to an advertiser because yeah. before, like I said, they would have to have somebody standing in a shopping mall with a clipboard asking you to take a minute to, to give them an answer. Or in the case of television, they used to have these Nielsen, uh, server, Nielsen ratings where, you know, they would take a sample of the audience and they would have a box sitting in their living room and they would push a button when they, when they were watching a particular show, right? Um, and that, you know, they use that as like a sample of the audience to get, you know, and I'm talking like a really small subset, right? You know, 1% or even less of like, you know, who's watching this, you know, kind of thing. And there's stories you hear about like, you know, Super Bowl, right? Uh, the the amount of water used during Super Bowl during ha- just before halftime, you know, like because everybody would run to the bathroom and, you know, have a wee and then run back and watch the you know, halftime show, right? Like those kind of those kind of things, that's how they used to figure this stuff out. And, and you know, so you can imagine, you know, you give them the ability and the power to, to use like a Facebook, you know, hit or a pixel or whatever you want to call it, right, to, to measure what they're doing. It's much more scientific, you know, possibly better yeah. to do that. And, and now Apple's sort of taking that, that, you know, advantage away from them. Well, of course, but the difference is, of course, that is that they're doing it without really you without knowing. Without your permission, yeah. yeah you didn't volunteer to doing. have that Nielsen box in your living room, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. for sure Apple is doing it for the good of the user. You know, we've talked about this right. a lot of times. A lot of the, yeah, the yeah. seemingly and crazy, annoying things that Apple does. They're they're doing it not because they're mean. They're doing it because they, in their best opinion, that that's the best thing for their their real true customer, which is the end user, yeah, not for the developer. For ourselves, as I like to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's got to be a, a fine li- or a, there's got to be a balance between where you know there's there's some maybe they don't make it as you know as scary and and you know um, you know in your face that hey this is tracking you uh, as Apple's doing, but in return the advertisers aren't 
aren't so ruthless and conniving and sneaky about about what they do with the information. Yeah, I don't think they're really being nefarious. They're 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 trying to make an honest living too, right? Right. I think. Right. Well, some certainly are, of course. Majority. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the scam, yeah. scam scammers and the, right. the scammers right. and the hackers. They're they're not. They're something else. Right. But the average Coke, you know, or Pepsi or or Tesla, even, you know, they're they're trying to they're trying to measure their their advertising dollar, and the way they do that is by by looking at the statistics and see what people you know respond to you know whether they like ad a or ad b and all that kind of stuff right so you know, I, I, we did an interview actually uh one of our last episodes of, of um, roundabout creative chaos we spoke to mike vinkemans who is is our um our, our um, voiceover guy he's an actually he's a creative writer and he actually a creative director sorry in, the, in an advertising agency and he so we asked him about the change in advertising in the time that he's been you know because he was there before the iphone came along and, and rode all the way through that and now you know having to sell ads to Google as opposed to selling ads to magazines. That's, you know, kind of what the experience he had. It was an interesting interview. I'll put a link in the show notes in there. People pick that one out. All right move on sure. so this one this next one is a bit of follow-up just sort of a fun thing for for mark and myself um one of my friends uh from the ray one group posted this on on our slack uh, the floppy of the future is here and it's the three and a half inch hard disc that mark was talking about uh showing a sony floppy drive and, and if you are a mac user from way back when until around i want to say the, the power pcs came out um they used to use sony mechanisms and they would have they had that automatic eject uh feature you could drag a you drag the Floppy to the the trash or command E and it would, mm-hmm. it would eject it automatically, but which worked great until it, it didn't, until it didn't work. <laughs> until it didn't work, yeah. Actually, I actually have a plus that that the floppy gets stuck in all the time, and yeah. I have to go and poke at it with a paperclip. But yeah, this is um, but this is this is the the, the three and a half inch floppy disk that Mark was talking about. I have a whole mm-hmm. box of them if anybody wants some. I've got some lying around here. <laughs> but what does it say? Uh, four four hundred thirty kilobytes double density. And people were psyched about that because that was so much more than the five and a half inch or five and a quarter. Yeah. Ones, which were like 100 they were like 800k at 1.2 right uh, uh, they were maybe, little, slightly yeah. smaller on mac because the resource works but mm-hmm. i think 800k was when i when i got into to apple in 89 uh, they were 800k floppy disks mm. the high density ones right mm-hmm. a little hd stamp on the side of them yeah cool. well i remember when a 10 megabyte hard drive was a pretty amazing thing i remember when you could get a penny's worth of penny candy for a penny <laughs> wow <laughs> well you probably still can but it just isn't it isn't much yeah. It's infinitesimal. Yeah. Can't see it. <laughs> we don't have pennies in in Canada anymore. Do you guys you guys still have pennies down there? You do. You do, don't you? We still have pennies, but they're always talking about getting rid of them. Yeah, we get we our smallest currency is a nickel, and so now if you, when they when the the device rounds up your uh, your purchase, if you pay by your Visa or your or your debit card, they will they will take the extra pennies. But if you're paying in cash, they always round up to round up or down to the nearest nickel. Mm. So, yeah, which I kind of wonder about. Anywho, all right, uh, what's next? I think we talked about this, so I put it in the follow up. But uh, Apple. Marina Bay Sands store has opened up in Singapore and this isn't going to be very easy to describe in an audio only medium so link in the show it's notes it's a spear floating on the water there I described it <laughs> I mean yes facetiously it's very simply a sphere on the water but um, it's quite the sphere made of like a hundred there you go 114 individual pieces of glass held in place by 10 vertical mullions and uh, it, it looks amazing I've seen some videos 
videos on YouTube on this. Um, you know, it seems like it lets in the light uh, to give you natural lighting, but without having sort of a, a harsh, you know, a harshness to it. They've got, you know, trees inside. And uh, I never really thought about a future where uh, if somebody might reasonably say, you know, what, what happened to Jaime? Oh, he was at the Apple store and got lost at sea as <laughs> a, as a potential thing that could happen. Right. In a tsunami. Exactly. So, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the future like of this thing, because, you know, as you know, I studied architecture in university and this uh, design goes back to a building in Rome called the Parthenon or Pantheon. And in, in it is, uh, it's basically a dome building, right? And it's got the circle, circular um, skylight at the top, right? Kind of thing. And, it, and inside the inside volume of the, of the building is actually a sphere, but it's like supported on four. It looks like a square building from outside with a dome, but it, it, on the inside is actually a, like a sphere just like this. This is a really kind of cool looking looking building. It's probably what forty or fifty feet high you know, in the middle there, but they've just got the you know the typical maple Apple Store tables in the middle, right? So a lot of wasted space. But now yeah, they've got trees growing in there and everything. It's looks pretty cool. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Pantheon or whatever. No, nope, I'm going to see. No, I'm going to have to Google that one because I don't know the yeah. the shape. I always thought of the Pantheon as the kind of the uh, the whole set of gods. It might be. Isn't, might that, be. The, isn't that word used? Does that, that mean that it's well? the Parthenon? Does the building? The no, Parthenon's Parthenon's a different building. Maybe a different building. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at Pantheon in Rome. Yeah. If you look at yeah. So if you look at so if you go to the the Wikipedia page, you might, yeah. If you look at that building on the outside, it looks like a typical Roman building, like with you know or, or you know with the post and lintel construction with the columns at the front, and they're probably they look dark to me. And then they've got a you know um, the breeze across the top, which is that triangle section, and then um, and it's got a square building behind it, and then it's got this sort of round you know circular building. But if you scroll down and look at the picture below, you'll see that it's it's a, a covert covert ceiling, and the whole inside is a big giant big giant circle. Yeah, and you can see there's a shot of the ceiling from there. It's not made of mullions and glass, though. but I always thought it was kind of cool that the building had a big giant sphere in the middle of it. More than just code, folks. More than just code. <laughs> come here, for, come for the architecture. All right, got another one for Rami? Yeah, uh, I know we've talked about the. Um security keys from Yubico. Um, and I think the last time we talked about it, they had just started offering a lightning-based one that was compatible with the iPhone. Uh, so normally they've had like Bluetooth connectivity, they've had NFC, uh, and then you'd have um, the iPhone one that was compatible with, with lightning. In this case, if you're wondering, like, hmm, how am I going to solve all of these different problems? Because uh, lightning isn't going to work on my, uh, or at least not without some sort of adapter or my MacBook Pro, and if I had some sort of Android device, how does that work? It's like, well, now they have a USB-C security key that also has NFC. So uh, presumably would end up sort of solving that one key to, to, to rule them all sort of thing. And that, that NFC could be used for the, the iPhones, uh, assuming you had you know compatible hardware and your Android devices. And if you have a new USB-C-based MacBook Pro, it still works for that. Or, or iPad Pro. iPad Pro has... Oh, that's USB-C. true. iPad Pro. Right, right. So something if you're you're interested in having that extra layer of security, um, you know, somebody has, has figured out your, your passwords and, you know, you're wondering like, well, I don't want to use sort of normal 2FA stuff, you know, particularly over SMS or even the, the time-based one-time use codes. Uh, I really want to make sure that somebody has actually taken this token that I have. There you go. You've got, you've got your option there. I would highly recommend that you have, you know, this article claims that they are $55, but... I 
think if you're going this route, you really, really want to make sure you have multiple of these. And if you're especially using something like a, like a passwordless system that we've talked about where you don't even create a password, this thing has the encrypted keys. You really want to register more than one of these in case one of these uh, you know gets lost in the ocean while you're visiting the Marina Bay Sands in Singapore uh, so that you, you can have some sort of backup in like uh, a secure deposit box at the bank or something, right? Or some other off-site location where, oh no, I lost my keys, which had the ring of the, the Yubiko key. How do I get access to my email? Well, okay, as inconvenient as it is, at least you have an option and you're not forever locked out of your own system. So notwithstanding the um, future plot of Mission Impossible, um, is it possible to, to have two copies of the same key or does it, or do you register one or the other kind of... You register multiple um, is usually how those systems work. So they each have a different token kind of thing, but, right. but so, they can all unlock the same content. So you would hypothetically have, you know, either either key A or key B represent me as the, the authorized user. So, oh no, I'm I lost... I'm trying not to give Tom Cruise any movie ideas, but um, by the way, just a real-time follow-up as well, um, but does have a Ubico, they do have a Ubico key to, uh, that has lightning on one end and USB-C on the other, right? So you could have the either-or kind of thing. And But according to this article I'm reading here, uh, followed off of this one linked here, it does not work with the USB-C iPad Pro. No, don't know why. Yeah, it's... it's. I'm, I'm sure there must be some sort of trade-off when it comes to manufacturability and some sort of pricing ratio and uh, just troubleshooting. Like, I mean, hypothetically, and here's a product idea, you could have a Swiss Army knife type thing of like, all right, what connector have? USB-A, USB-C, micro USB, NFC, lightning. I mean, you, you could right. go on and on if you wanted to have it. It's really difficult to come up with something that is going to be, you know, fairly robust, offer many uses and can handle, you know, a lot of people carry these on their, their key rings. So it's got to handle being slammed around, you know, in cars, in pockets, that sort of thing. So for those of you driving at home or wondering how this works, there is a link as well in this article that shows how to use them. And um, you apparently can link it with your Google account. So I guess that's using Google Authenticator, I guess. Yes, because you can add a key, like a security key to your account, as well as your regular 2FA or your Authenticator app. Um, you can also pair it with your Twitter account and your Facebook account, you dare. Yeah, there, there's a lot that go out there. So uh, I, I am aware that Google has some sort of competitive product, and I forget what it's called, but it's the same idea. It's a it's a hardware token in the, in the shape of, of a key, key ringable thing. And I think they were passing those out to um, sort of high value targets, right? It's, you're a journalist for the Washington Post and really want to make sure your Google account is secure and probably your Twitter, you know, your verified Twitter account and other things. Uh, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, again, depending on your threat model, right? Um, but there there is also you know, convenience. Like we've talked about how great one password is, but it's like, yeah, it's also kind of cool to never have to worry about passwords, right? Uh, we, we still have the, whoops, what ends up happening if you lose a token sort of thing. Um, and I think that's, again, why you should have more than one of these registered for your, your valuable accounts. All right. Overture, hit the lights. This is it. The night of nights. I know what heights we'll hit. On with the show. This is it. What do you got for us now, Harmony? Yeah. So since the last time we spoke on this show, uh, Apple has actually sent out its events for its virtual event on September 15th uh, with a uh, a whole thing that said, um, time flies. And the invitation logo is a Apple logo done in a sort of blue squiggly thing. And and we'll talk more about that. 
Well, let's talk about the the event. Um, this Ars Technica article has, you know, its belief of, of what might possibly be unveiled. Um, I leave it to the panel. What what do you think as you use your, your criminology of what does time flies and the design of this invitation mean to you? Or or even just random stuff that you think might be announced at the, the event? Time flies. Wow. Well, clearly um, it's the it's the new Apple self self flying car. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That they've been talking about for all this time and it, it'll have a it'll have a uh, you know a little clock in the dashboard that's where the time part comes in but the flying is because it's the self yeah. you know self-flying and it comes in white and 16 gig and 32 models right yeah exactly yes yeah, yeah. well yeah. sort of i mean obviously the I, mind you we were talking at the end of spotcast last week that um i had heard that the iphone the apple watch 7 is it 7 6 or 7 6 i guess right where are we now I think the the, I have a four, I have a series six. four. We were talking about this last week. I have a series four. There's a series five, and then so we're at six. I think, right? I believe that's correct. I think it's the six. Watch OS seven. Watch six. Series six. Anyway, so we were talking about last week about that being delayed. So I, I wonder. Um, there. I mean, they're obviously talking about you know the, the various iOSs, but there's a rumor of an iPad. I heard as well. Um, we talked about last week about the smaller HomePod, uh, a re- re- redone Apple TV. But I don't know. Is it is it too obvious that the time part means a new watch? That might be a little too obvious. Yeah, you know, there's there's sort of two two schools of thought. I went the the very basic it's and a obvious phone route. that tells time, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I, I went the the Apple Watch route. Is like, all right, I think that's at least one of the devices that'll be introduced there. Um, the sort of more subtle and nuanced choice was people saying, oh, uh, it's maybe like a, a, an iPad upgrade with a time of flight type of sensor, you know, an enhanced one, which could be. And I think it's mentioned in this article, you know, time of flight sensor, something like an augmented reality 3D sensor included on the back of the latest iPad. So it may be an upgraded version of that. Um, I, I lean towards... Uh, Maybe both. I'm kind of expecting a, a refreshed iPad of some sort. I don't. I don't know which one it will be. I don't know if it'll be because I haven't looked to see. You know, are the pros the, the low end models? You know, which ones? I, I suspect some sort of iPad with an Apple Watch as sort of the, the shortened event is what I think. I don't think the iPhone is going to be make it for for this particular one, and I definitely don't think the uh, Apple Silicon based Max because time flies just doesn't make sense at all for that uh, particular iPad choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sometimes time fl- time flies just means time flies. Since you know, been time has gone gone uh, gone by faster than anyone thought because we were all stuck at home. But and maybe these are the new phones. Maybe, maybe. that's all it is. Well, according to this little update down here at the bottom that I can't click on anymore, um, Mark Gurman has surmised that it's uh, exclusively about the Apple Watch, hmm. which doesn't make sense because we we know there has to be an event for uh, announcing the phones, right? Yeah, and uh, you know you don't need a new phone necessarily for a new watch. So it presumably means that the timing of iOS 14 pretty much all you need to get available you know something that's usable with a new watch if you were to get your watch and again that's going with the idea that the phones themselves will be delayed in some way they presumably not even talked about at this event and I, they're I telling th- us that time flies before we hear about the phone and we'll be able to order one i don't think i don't think they'll i don't think they'll go the approach of talking about the phone getting people excited and then oh by the way the phone's not available to late october early november i think mm-hmm. instead they'll have a separate event in october 
October for the the iPhones. And I think it, it, given the rumors of like just how many phones they're coming out with this year, um, I forget what that is. It was like three or four models, I think. Um, it could make sense. You have an event that's literally just the iPhones. And then you have this <laughs> smaller one that's for, hey, we've got new Apple Watches. Go buy them and maybe something else. What did they do when they did the introduced the watch? Was that the one where they had the big white building um, outside of yes. the campus? Right. I, it was yeah. on uh, De Anza College. I went down there and took some pictures yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A big white box, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So to the, you know, we, we do this every time. Every time Apple has an, an announcement, they put out something that makes us scratch our heads and try to come up with what it means and decode the secret meaning. But does it ever really mean anything? <laughs> Usually it right. doesn't, yeah. right? Good point. Good point. <laughs> or it's so obscure, we'll never be able to figure it out. Right, right. Um, maybe there's a book for somebody to write. Yeah. But uh, are we, are we going to talk about the special Easter egg now, or, or did we already talk about that? No, this is actually a, a, a good time to talk about it. So if you go to the apple.com Apple events link that we have in the show notes, uh, you do have to be on an iOS device of some sort, and it needs to be compatible. If you if you tap on that little blue squiggly logo, the AR Quick Look experience will pop up in your browser. And uh, it does its nifty little animation. And if you haven't somehow gotten it stuck to your wall and can't find it sort of thing, uh, it eventually squiggles itself into 915, which is September 15th, the date of the event. It's kind of neat. But be careful. Like I said, you're going to have this thing stuck on your wall. I don't know where it is now. I can't find it. Stuck on your wall somewhere. (laughs) Oh, on my ceiling. Oh, it's on your ceiling. Upside down. Yeah, okay. And it's got a shadow too. Hmm. That's the new. That's the new hotness with the. With, it's upside down. That's funny. So you have like a spider with its Charlotte's web up there, just hanging out. Yeah. In the rafters. It'll, it'll stay as long as I keep this view open, I guess. Right. This is one of those weird, sort of non-obvious problems with AR that for user interfaces, you're probably going to need some sort of hinting mechanism, like arrows that know which way you're pointing and can tell you which way to reorient if you wanted to see the thing you care about that was very exciting yeah. glad we did that <laughs> wow getting cynical well considering considering i tried to convince people to get into ar in 2014 maybe yeah that was too early yeah way too early before ar kit it's even yeah, it it's a, still a little too early right now it was a prominent uh manufacturer of chicken wings you can have the chicken wing chicken wing experience at home uh, they might be in the states too but yeah, i think they are and they used to advertise you know things like uh nascar and super bowl stuff like that football games and the my idea was, or our idea was, if you scan the logo with your phone, you know, something would pop out and, mm-hmm. you know, have some sort of AR experience. Because we use the, the, the company's logo as a, as a trigger, as mm-hmm. a nice black and white clear logo, right? Mm-hmm. And you could have triggered it off a television broadcast or whatever, right? So, and it would just be a way to, you know, but yeah, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. Or at least it wasn't the, the actual company, but the agent who was, we were talking to trying to pitch the idea to didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Even though I had like little 3D robots running around on his desk and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and again, I think a lot of people didn't have phones back then, too, so that was another, another issue. Right? Uh, one thing I will say around augmented reality that I was thinking about uh, while walking the dog, know, probably over the holiday weekend, was we're sort of in a weird spot with AR and, and VR to a big extent, too, where it kind of feels like we still haven't had that watershed moment where somebody has really, really figured it out and made the, the, the you know, kick butt experience. Uh, and I look at it as being very similar to, you know, there were smart 
smartphones for a very long time before the iPhone came around. And the iPhone very clearly had the right idea. And now every phone is a smartphone for all intents and purposes. And darn near everybody who who wants one has one. And I think we're, we kind of need that for AR and VR. They've been hanging around for a while. The tech's been getting really cool, but, but cool tech doesn't make usable product, right? Yeah, but we can, but I mean, in terms of things catching up, I mean, like QR codes as an example, right? No, we, we bash them a lot, but I mean, iPhones recognize them. Don't I think Android phones recognize them now too, right? So there is sort of a convergence, convergence of experience in that sense, right? That if you know, if you've got some sort of technology, and I, I'm, I'm assuming BlackBerry for whatever's left of them, the husk that they are, I guess they're, they're running Android as well, right? So they kind of would have a common experience. But I mean, that's that's what it takes. It's, it takes like uh, iTunes was great, you know, and the iPod was great, but it wasn't until Apple released, you know, a Windows version of iTunes that the iPod actually started to take off and fly off the shelves, right? Because, you know, that they, they were missing that whole market. And now with AR, it's been, it, it's a technology that's been around a long time, you know, um, you know, triggering off of, off of targets and stuff like that. Um, and even VR, we've been talking about VR since like the 90s, right? Um, you know, virtual experiences and stuff like that for the, the, you know, the handful of people that had computers back then too, right? It's taken a while for technology to catch up and become to become ubiquitous to the point where you could actually have these kind of experiences. And I think that's maybe why, you know, again, here, here's Apple leading from behind again, right? Um, taking such a long time to get to, the, to this point where we can use this technology. And hopefully, you know, knock on wood, Android kind of picks up and Google, whatever, pick up on it, right? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned BlackBerry because they actually came to mind, as did um, Palm with its Trio as being one of those sort of prototype style. Or, or uh, they were smartphones. I mean, that's what they were called back then. Yeah, yeah, they were smartphones, but they definitely weren't the the modern smartphone. Um, and you know, was it was it a technology thing? Was it a a, a difference in thinking? I, I I don't know. If I had the answer, like I wouldn't give it away on this very show. I'd go, I'd quit my job, go get tons of VC money, and then a few years from now, I'd talk to you all for my helicopter and yacht right <laughs> yeah well i think i think the thing about it is is that it has to become so simple that anybody can do it and that's where we're where we're at now right like it's you know even though some people can't figure out how to record a voicemail message at least they know how to you know open an app and they know how to you know browse the web and they know how to send an email from their phone now which is something or send a text even right um like i i'm looking at people my generation you know who i, I was just talking to a friend of mine on facebook today who i just you know i i hung out with him when i was like 15 and you you know, we just met up again on Facebook a couple of weeks ago and months ago, I guess. And I asked him, like, where's the rest of the gang? And he's like, I have no idea. Right. And and it's because people my age have no idea how to really use their phones. Right. They don't they're not like they're not hip and happening like you. I mean, you know, they don't even know what Reddit is. Right. <laughs> but it, but it, what I mean, though, is that like in terms of in terms of a technology to sort of take off, it has to get to the point where it's so simple, you know, that your mom can do it. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's one of those things where I'll be, I'll be very curious to see as I. I, I still don't know. Uh, is there some is there some fundamental change to the form factor that's going to have to happen? Like like maybe maybe it just isn't really meant to to take off in phones and, and iPads and you know laptops and stuff. Maybe maybe it needs glasses or or contact lenses or or brain implants, neural implant, implants of some sort. That's what I mean. Like it, it requires a company like Apple who has the ability to make things you know so simple and se- and seamless and and they get out of people's way, right? I mean that's the biggest problem with with this whole 
whole AR experience as I see it today is that that even developers, right? You know, Apple needs to get out of the way of the developers because you know when I was talking about doing AR back in the day, you had to get you know the, the Qualcomm uh, framework downloaded into your app and you know and all kinds of other things, and you had to design something in Blender to make it you know to animate a figure to walk across the person's desk, and you had to you know trigger you know figure out how to trigger off a, a stale image and make experiences happen, and, and that's not that's not for the faint of heart, right? Well, you can't blame right. Apple for that though. No, no, I'm not blaming Apple. What I'm saying is Apple Apple is the is the company that can. I mean, they've they've put lidar into my my iPad already. I mean, I went upstairs you know into an empty room that Carol and I were working on, and I threw an IKEA table and chairs down on the floor, but just by you know scanning the room for like 30 seconds, and boom, I had a table and chair from IKEA sitting in the room, and and Carol could see what it would look like. You know, that's when I can do something like that and just show her like, look, this is how simple it is to to, to do an AR experience. She's like, wow, this is great. You know, and next thing I know, she's getting me to measure the whole room, and she take, runs off to IKEA with the with the floor plan. You know, I used to. I think we mentioned on the show. I, mean, I used an app to measure the room with the iPad, right? But I mean, it, it took Apple to get to the point where they put lidar in the iPad, and they you know they they put the they get, empowered the developers to make the software simple enough that it's for me just point and shoot, right? Like it's like the old digital the old analog cameras. Yet you, you know if you if you had a manual camera, you had to you had to understand aperture, lighting, film speed, you know all kinds of all kinds of things to get a decent photo. Now you just point your your iPhone at it, and boom, you're you're an Instagram hero, right? So that's what I'm, that's what I mean about about Apple. I'm not blaming Apple. I'm saying Apple is is the type of company that and and Google to a certain extent is the kind of company that could make that happen for people. So looking at the rest of the stuff on this page, fortunately for us, they have links to previous special events, right? So in September, on September 12th, 2018, they announced the iPhone XS, the XS Max, XR, and the new Watch Series 4. And then again in September 10th of 2019, just a year ago, time flies, um, it was uh, the iPhone 11 Pro, the iPhone 11, the Apple Watch Series 5, and the new iPad Pro. I new iPad, I guess. The iPad Pro came out earlier. Yeah, so I'm going to go with like looking at Looking at the pattern of you know the last two um, September's, got to be iPhones and watches, right? Maybe I, I would say that this is kind of an unusual year in that we, there already is the rumor that uh, given pandemic impacts to the, the manufacturing base, I, I could see iPhones being delayed. And then if you're Apple, you say, well, what's so then? What do we do with events? We don't necessarily have to have the event the same sort of week. Of take the pre-orders for. Um, I think the iPhone 10 was was like a month later. I think from when it was announced. Um, but I think there's a different factor there where, you know, pre-pandemic, as much as Apple sort of gets a, a lot of uh, love and attention from the press, because, you know, Apple news is is big news, which means big advertising dollars. Um, there's really only so much that I think even a company like Apple could push of like, all right, everybody from the entire world who's press fly into Cupertino and, and see this thing. You know, I can see where in past events, they kind of tried to shove them together as much as possible to get as many products out there as you could. Whereas now, when it's all virtual, you know, they, they could have one of the events every day if they wanted to, right? <laughs> it would be like a WWDC, hey, we're releasing one one model a day sort of thing. Uh, not saying they should do that, but it's certainly easier to say, all right, the press is going to attend with, with air quotes virtually and, you know, they'll, they'll watch on the stream. It, it, I think it's a little easier to split up into smaller, more focused events like an Apple Watch only event and then later a phones only event. 
that and then later uh, an Apple Silicon Mac based event if you wanted to. Like it's certainly more plausible and say, hey, remember how you left your family for like three to four days? <laughs> We're going to do that three times this month or three times this quarter um, is, is probably a little bit they more They did do it in 2018 because I'm looking here on this, the same thing. Like I mentioned that September they announced the phones and the watch. Uh, like a month later, uh, October 30th, the day before Halloween, they had uh, iPad Pro, MacBook Air, and Mac Mini. That's in 2018, right? So um, there is a precedent for them having two separate events. And they did the same thing like when they first rolled out the watch too, right? That was a separate event as well. So yeah, there is there is precedent for them to do it. And now, now that they're virtual, like what's what's the harm in doing you know one event this week and then another event in two weeks, right? Because, you know, other than production time, it's not, you know, you're not flying, you know, the Rennie Richies and the John Grubers and the Federico Fritichis to, um, to California for announcements, right? So they can just as easily do that you know, remotely in this new you know, Zoom calling world, right? They live in. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't know. You guys have summed it up pretty well. I, you know, I, I'm kind of not expecting iPads for some reason. It just doesn't feel like iPad time, uh, but I could be wrong. Um, I, I'm thinking phones, but I, but I get it that, you know, they could be delayed. But, you know, chances, yeah, chances are it's probably a watch thing. I mean, just it's just a little too too cute for it not to be a watch right, thing with right. the name and all that, even, you know, even with all I've said. But if they do release that flying car, then I'm going to be and famous. You'll get one, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you'll stay, you'll get up at midnight and order one. That's right. Um, <laughs> but so, okay, so let, let, let's say it is a watch, right? What what can they possibly do to the watch to make it in any more compelling than the watches we have now? Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Right. I mean, you've got the, you know, the heart thing, you got the fitness thing, and, and you know, at, in, when the watch first came out, we're like, what are they going to do with the watch, right? What's it, what's it going to be like? And, and you know, um, I think I, I considered buying my first watch app this week, but uh, I didn't do it. But, uh, you know, like we've been talking about having a watch store. We finally got a watch store, I think, last year, right? Um, yeah, what, yeah we got standalone apps that didn't change the world. No. So what's, what's the big compelling? Why would they have such a big event for just a watch, right? I mean, notwithstanding the first event. But yeah. I mean, Oreo continues to make cookies even when you, you know, personally oh. don't require them. It's not like they, they do them on sure. demand when you go to the store. So the Oreos are amazing. Apple watches are eh, you know? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, me. but Nabisco doesn't have a, an, an enormous uh, conference, not conference, but enormous event telling the world about the new cookie. I guess they have advertising. Right. But yeah. This one has double stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah mm. it, it would have to be, if it were just a watch, it would have to be kind of a letdown, I think, the event. Unless, mm-hmm. you know, unless it shoots lasers or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or maybe. Steers your, steers your flying car. Yeah. 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 My imagination might not be too good, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of things that aren't, you know, nice refinements, uh, but not uh, sort of killer necessities. Like, I, you know, we know they already have the um, the always-on face, which was a sort of a deal-breaker for people. We know that they probably haven't cracked the, you know, one week of battery life problem, because that's a huge... I mean, they should stop selling watches and start <laughs> getting into the battery business, if that's the case, uh, if they've solved that problem. Uh, maybe additional health sensors. Um, you know, those could be nice. Uh, not knocking those. I think stuff like the uh, the ECG, EKG are, are really cool. Uh, m- you know, maybe other things tracking... Um, you know, O2, which they might have uh, tracking um, blood sugar, which would be really cool. I'm, I'm not diabetic, but sure, we could be kind of nice to, to have data tracking in case that ended up happening. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe my imagination is just not good enough, but I'm sitting here with a, a Series 3 and I'm like, I might not need that much convincing to, to go ahead and go ahead and buy one, <laughs> whatever the heck they come out with and just say, yeah, have a, a, a decent enough upgrade to my, my watch and be able to sell my watch while it continues to have uh, some amount of trade-in value mm. instead of, you know, riding it, you know, into the 
ground uh, as I could as an alternative. So can you use a watch as a tra- I guess you can use a watch as a trade-in on another device or another piece of hardware, right? I wonder, I wonder what my developer watch is worth these days. Hmm. Good <laughs> the question. OG. It's only worth something as a, as a keepsake, right? All righty. What do you got next? This is an article by uh, Guillaume Rambo, uh, whose name comes up quite a bit as somebody who goes spelunking into the world of uh, what is Apple up to sort of thing. Um, but in this case, he's got an article here about his app Chibi Studio um, and how he sort of worked to get it made available as an app clip for iOS 14 and, and some of the challenges he, he had to go through. So Chibi Studio, as I understand it, is a app that you can use to make cute, uh, cutesy anime avatars sort of thing. And as I understand from this this article, apparently there's all tons, 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 tons of assets that go into that particular app. And, and this presents sort of a particular problem because as folks who uh, might remember, app clips only allow you to have uh, 10 megabytes of, of total size. Um, and, and even when you go through app thinning, it's like, oh, there's still like a lot of stuff that I ended up with a problem of, of dealing. So he's like, all right, how am I going to get this to to, to work? Uh, it turns out that uh, he did some things like um, some of his assets, instead of having them in, I forget which, which format he had uh, with a particular compression, uh, but he ended up reducing his vector data size with LZMA mm. compression, which worked out better for him than uh, good old gzip zlib. Mm. Uh, so he, he had looked at Apple's compression framework and, and saw that there was a, a, a higher uh, compression ratio promised by LZMA, and he decided to try it out. Uh, and it, it did a, a pretty good job. So he went from 127.6 megs to 78.5 without impacting the runtime performance in any noticeable way. So that's good. So it sounds like a, an overall win for his particular use case. Um, but he was still having issues like, oh my gosh, like, you know, uh, how do I get this thing to fit? And he realized that, well, something that he was doing before, an engineering trade-off he had made was that uh, he had preview images that were pre-baked because uh, whenever it was that he started creating this app, this Chibi Studio, um, phones just would, you know, on the market and not like the latest and greatest necessarily, but the, you know, uh, fleet of phones that he was looking to support wouldn't necessarily be able to quickly churn out those preview thumbnails on the fly. So he ended up with even even more assets for, you know, imagine there's like a funny hat for your character and uh, you have not only the, the full-size asset for that, but you also have some thumbnail version and so on and so forth for every asset he had. And he said, well, I wonder if I can just generate these on the fly and, and what would happen? Um, and he tried it out and, and it ended up working for him. And, and looking here at the article, um, this design decision he had made, this technical decision was back when iOS 10 was in the heyday. So here we are, you know, some four years later and devices have gotten fast enough for the, oh, not a big deal. Cool. So now he's able to, uh, to get even more out, uh, you know, thinned out of his uh, particular app so he can get closer to that, that, that magic 10 megabytes limit that the app clip size has. Uh, he, he ran into uh, a particular issue where he said, all right, cool. It's under the 10 megabyte limit. I finally done everything I need to do, right? And App Store Kick Next said, no, the thinned app clip size is too large. It's like, what? And it turns out, I'm quoting here, when talking about the 10 megabyte limit, they're not referring to the size of the compressed IPA file, but the size of the actual .app package in, inside of it. So in order to do that and check it out, he had to verify locally by unzipping the IPA file. And he discovered, oh no, this thing 
thing I thought was under 10 megs is actually 13.3 megs. So he ended up rethinking how he was splitting up his app's architecture. And he had already had uh, bits and pieces of his app carved out into frameworks. Right? That's something that I think is uh, maybe not unusual, but not common either. And somewhere in the middle is where the truth lies, where you know you, you probably don't have necessarily everything for your app all in, in, in one your bundle. You've got it you know, split out into, oh, all right, this is the networking piece and this is the UI piece at a minimum. And he's got his breakdown here of you know what he had for his app target versus extensions and sort of uh, you know core layers of his particular app. And he was able to come up with uh, a further breakout that got him like, what do I truly need for this app clip that you know uh, doesn't have the full power of, of like the real app, but has you know enough to get you excited and, and go check things out and ultimately install the app, which is you know, one of the driving factors that he's looking for. Right? You know, you're not looking to, to install my entire app, but you might try it out as as an app clip to, to sort of get a taste and get excited and go for the full install. That was the the final step that got him under the 10 megabyte limit. So I wanted to bring this one up because there was you know I think some good nuggets here for for folks to use in their apps and also give you sort of a if you're not starting from square one um, and you're trying to to port an existing port an existing app of yours uh, to app clips you know what might that mm-hmm. mean it won't necessarily mean the same for you if you're out there listening because uh, maybe you don't have an app that is very asset heavy uh, as Chibi Studio apparently was but uh, if you do have one now you've got some stuff that you might want to try so I'm doing some real time follow up on our friends of the show Slack channel which I can really excite them all so while you were talking I went and downloaded the app clip onto my phone that's got iOS 14 running on it I made a dev with the hair what do you call these things clippy uh, I don't know if they have a name for the avatars, but but the name of the app is Chibi Studio. It doesn't really look like you do. It's dev with the hair. Oh, it's dev. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really look like him either. <laughs> well, they don't have a mustache. I was confused by the beard. I was confused by well, the beard. Well, yeah, they don't have they don't have a like a. He's got sort of a mustache, but it, uh, yeah. it's the only app I've ever seen that has the sort of um, blue steel look, right? Mm. And that's the closest I could get to his hair <laughs> on short notice, right? Mm. <laughs> this multimedia experience where you get even more when you're in the hashtag friends of the show channel on Slack. So join mm-hmm. Slack. Group. We've got yeah, that. They'll be uh, looking at this going, what the heck is it? Oh, people notes. are liking yeah. it already. Oh, you just, what just is this, Mark and Jaime. <laughs> what is this merge of Tim and, and Jaime in, in, yeah. in a cartoon character? <laughs> I look at it as one of those things where like, um, you know, a big thing that, that multi, uh, multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar media companies do like, hey, you know, there's fans of this like Star Trek thing or the Star Wars thing. Do you think we could get some buzz and excitement by just tweeting out random photos from the set and boy almighty i was one of those people doing the criminology of like oh what's going on is is this a character in season three of discovery is this a, a new character in the new star wars movie sort of thing so uh hopefully the folks in the friend of the show channel will say oh this must be a spoiler of some sort for or a mm-hmm. teaser for mm-hmm. what's coming up in the show yeah so you can basically you uh like it's cool because i don't actually ha- go into test light and you can download the clip right because you can you can download the app as well but just doing the clip all you do is get you get the little sort of design studio where you can go in and create a, a character and you can choose a, a head style a body style and then you go through and you pick the different you know hand gestures and stuff like that and um yeah but once you once you close it it's gone it's like you, know, you save the document but uh but the actual working file isn't isn't there so it's a good way to sort of introduce the app or the functionality of the app without actually having to buy it or download it or whatever right so i don't know what i don't know if there's a way is it like once i've got it in here how does it know to go to the app store and buy it 
perhaps that's the part I'm not sure about. Like, wouldn't you think if you, you fell in love with it, you'd want to have a link back to the store? I know we talked about the the little store sheet that you can show that looks like a mm-hmm. like a little nice pop up of some sort. Um, yeah. Does it does it not give you that? Is there no? no oh, I like mean, this? Well, Go get no. the full thing. Oh, there's there's a snapshot. I can take a picture, or I can add a picture from the library. I can trash it. I can undo. I can, there's a magic button which just magically makes one for you. And there's no driver, no call to action that says, "Oh, uh, want even more options? Download the entire app to to continue editing." Uh, yeah, you would think, eh? Hmm, oh, you can choose colors. I could have, I could have chosen, chosen change the color of your hair and stuff like that. But hmm. yeah, you would think that one of the one of the buttons there would be. I can't remember. I can't figure out how to get back to where this is. Uh, definitely, I've got some curly hair on there. Definitely looks like Jaime now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, it, there isn't any sort of way. But I, I would assume that maybe because this is a test flight, it doesn't really have a link back to an actual app. Maybe on the store. I don't know. Oh, that might be a possibility. I don't. I don't know how you end up sort of beta testing the the store kit related stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you like, try, it says here at the bottom of the article if you like to try out the app clip I made for Chiba Studio, you can test it on Tesla. This is what I did. So that's cool. All right, I guess we're at the picks portion of our show, so I guess I'll go first. So I saw this one on Twitter. This is an interesting one. Um, we were talking about uh, app schemes a couple of days ago, uh, or Xcode schemes, you know, the last couple of episodes, right? And um, this is a, a cool one, and, and maybe you hadn't thought of this, but when you are when you have a an app that has, a I don't know how many schemes you guys have in your apps, I don't have that many, but um, you know how when you're, when you're in the jump bar and you can start typing in, like if you're looking for, you go into a, a class or something and it's got like a, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 methods and it's maybe, you know, Many many lines of code deep. You can start typing in the jump bar, and it'll it'll short list the stuff based on what the what you're typing in there. Like if you're looking for view did load, you can start typing view did load, and it'll it'll short list just to that one. So you can just jump down to that particular thing. Or if you have like a pragma mark, you can jump down to the pragma mark. Well, this is something in schemes. If you if you click on the scheme, you can actually start typing over top of the scheme name, and you can short list down to your scheme. So there's a video here in the in the link that I've got here uh, showing how you can you know just type in um, some characters. And, and shortlist to, to whatever scheme you're looking for. That's kind of a handy tip, don't you think? Yeah, I, I have certainly um, carved some of those things down, like let's say like the simulator size, and you can go in manage yeah, your devices. One too, yeah. But I, I never realized that you could just start typing and typing, have it filter yeah, there. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I would have saved a whole a whole bunch of heartache of accidentally clicking another one. Think, oh no, I'm starting to re- build and run the wrong one. <laughs> now I have to stop it and go build and run the other one. Wait another 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. For instance, I always use when i'm working on, on apps or whatever i always choose whatever the phone is of the time right so like now i'd be testing on an iphone 11 or an iphone 11 pro right in terms of size so that's what i go to default to when i'm testing so i i suppose you could just type start typing 11 and then get rid of all the other ipads and watches and tvs and stuff like that yeah it's, it's cool yeah so this works on the schemes and it works on the, the, the test device or the simulator device i guess we're gonna we'll work on phones too if you had multiple phones oh that's my pick my second pick is something that it's a kickstarter i gotta find Link to the Kickstarter, but and I've linked to the guy's website, so yeah, maybe this does talk about it. So this is um, I bought this on Kickstarter sometime last year. Like it's taken a long time to get here. It just arrived this week. It's called. It's from a company called DG Rule or DG Rule Tech, and what it is is a uh, USB hub that hugs the bottom of your MacBook Pro. So I bought. I knew I was going to get a 13. Um, there was a choice to do. I think it was a 13 or an Air. And what it does is it ha- uses the two USBs on the left hand side and the right hand side plugs in just uses the plugs into the headphone jack just for stability and it's it takes seconds to put it on and take it off and whatever but 
on the back, I've got um, a display port. I've got an HDMI port. And it's not Thunderbolt. It's, it's actually display port. I've got a bunch of USBs. I've got a power in USB-C port. And I've got a regular USB-C port for data as well. So it's it's kind of handy. It just, you know, and of course, uh, sorry, also SD cards. So you can read SD cards and um, those are kind of, kind of memory cards, the mini ones and the full-size ones. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I think it was like $100 was the Kickstarter. I think you can still get it on Kickstarter. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just uh, so far so good. Um, it has a few um, interesting, um, like it's um, like the sound module. One of them is a Realtek USB 2 audio uh, device. So that's what it's using for the audio. And then uh, if you look at the other things in the, if you go to your, about, you know, about this Mac, if you go to the system information thing, you can see that some of the drivers that they have for other things in there. But yeah, it's pretty simple. Plug plug clips onto the bottom of your uh, of your um, MacBook Pro. That's my pick for this week. I've got a couple more more devices to test as well, but I'll talk about this in, in future shows. But that's what I got. And I, I meant, of course, I got a silver one because I wasn't sure if I was going to get space gray or whatever. But I bought it well before I decided to buy the Mac. But there you go. So it's like a little little riser, if I understand, or it sort of tilts it up at a slight angle to fit. Yeah, it, it sits up a bit. It tilt, tilts it up a slight angle. Yeah, and it sits in. You can see in the in the video or the picture of the video there. It just it's just adds port to the back of your Mac. It looks very much like the old school. Uh, um, my titanium laptop had the uh, had the and and I think the uh, the G3 laptops had the had the ports on the back. Yeah, so it, it gives you a bit more angle on your or your typing too. And you know you can just you know just carry it around, tote it around with you, right? So and it says here for the uh, yeah it's 129 on the on the website. It supports 2017 to 2020 uh, devices, right? But uh, and I think it might still be on Kickstarter. I don't know. I'll have to look at it. It was 99 dollars on the Kickstarter. I just thought you know it's you know what the heck I'd give it a shot. And so far it's so good. Which we will. I'm using it actually right now as we record this show. You know, there's almost kind of a, a shadow pick here on their product page. They have a magnetic charging data cable that is essentially a USB-C output, but with MagSafe type capabilities, as I understand it. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I kind of wonder why Apple didn't, you know, continue to use MagSafe even when they switched to USB-C. The, the idea is still good. It's still solid. I mean, I don't, I don't want to drop my device to the floor just because I was dumb enough to trip over my own cable. I kind of want the extra security of, oh, this thing will just pop out. I just plug it back in. Yeah. And by the way, just uh, just to cover the ports, uh, be on the on the page here. It says uh, HDMI mini display port has three USB 3.1s, one USB C, a SD, a micro SD, a Thunderbolt three, and an audio jack for your headphones. But what am I going to do with my zip drive? Well, that you have to get a SCSI <laughs> interface for. I That's think, true. Right? Yeah, I think it would be. I think it was SCSI. So you need a USB to SCSI yeah. interface. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to make that. I mean, the only the only thing is, I guess, the only knock against it is does take off two of the ports on the left-hand side, but, you know, you can always plug it in the back. And it doesn't add any volume, really, to the to the Mac. You can throw it in, the, in your laptop bag, and away you go. And it's compared to other hubs, which are, you know, they have, like, the, the square bricks, and they've got, like, a USB cable coming out of them. So there's there's a picture here on their site. Um, they're, you know, I've got the ones that plug into, the, into the, the ports on the side. Those are the ones I tend to prefer, but this one so far has been pretty good. I've tried a couple of other USBs, and this is the one I'm going with. So it looks, it looks like it has a power cable on its own, right? That's that white cable. Uh, can you connect it to a monitor, a USB-C monitor, and yeah, have it charge yeah, yeah. So, through the monitor? Yeah, so, so the one on the one on the left, as I'm looking at it, so the, looking from the back, the one that would be on the left mm-hmm. is the USB-C power cable. And it's actually ah, got a I light, see. too. Okay. So it's got a blue light, and when you plug it in, it turns green to show you that it's charging, which is another thing that we don't get on the current uh, mm. MacBooks. We can't really tell other than looking at the menu bar if the thing is charging or not, right? So that USB-C power, is it also usb data so in other words can apparently, could well, I apparently 
I haven't really gone through the spec on it yet. Yeah. But actually, you've got the manual here somewhere. My my it's, one question um, is is can you connect it to a monitor and get it charged through a monitor? Yeah. That's so, like I said, the, the one the one on oh yeah you yeah you mean at the same time at yeah, the same time. Question. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a, I do have a USB monitor that, that that provides charge. I wonder what would happen if I plugged it in there. But um, you should try and report back next week. Well, it says here that the a USB C multifunction 400 bps 100 watt. Okay, that sounds uh, like it does. Well, that's that's the one that's by itself, and the other one shows a plug, and it's got SS and a, like like a USB, uh, like as an icon that says SS with the USB thing sticking out of it. So it says on the back, USB-C multifunction port of 5K or 2.2 times 4K, 600 hertz video up to 400 gigabytes, 40 gigabytes at speed. USB-C 100 watt power delivery. So I think that means putting power out, though, right? Like if you're, if you're powering a device, like a hard drive or something. Mm, maybe the other one is yeah. Five gig data speed, five gigabits per second data input, hundred watt power delivery. Hmm. I don't know. I don't want to plug it in right now while I'm recording because of my mm-hmm. problems I mentioned before. Mind you, I'm at thirty five percent battery, so we may we may have we may, we may get there. Who knows? Anyway, yeah, cool. uh, that's my second pick. Off to you, Jaime. My first pick is the remote edition of NS Spain. NS Spain last mm. year was was as you might have guessed it in Spain this year due to the pandemic they decided to go with a virtual conference and it's kind of unusual and that they're going for an insane continuous 36-hour conference. So presumably if you have a lot of Red Bull or uh, no sleep. more realistically, <laughs> you, you're you in you know any part of the world, you'll be able to participate. There will be something that is uh, in your time zone for sure. So this is the first one I think I've seen that was you know 36 hours straight. I've seen some 24-hour ones, uh, uh, not necessarily iOS ones, but other developer communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thought you know, 36 hours, that's kind of interesting. Let's see. What are the tickets? Early bird tickets are 199 euro until September 30th and uh, standard until they last or 249 euro. Now, how do they, how do they, how do you decide what the, the last means? Like if you're not if you don't have a venue, it doesn't matter how many people connect, does it? Does it? I, you know, just keep selling those tickets. I don't know what sort of platform limitations they might have, but yeah, I mean, why oh, why I would see, you stop right, saying yeah, no <laughs> if your platform could support, <laughs> you know, all 7 yeah. some billion people in the United States? In the uh, in the world and 199 euro looks like 235 United States dollar and because we have a Canadian audience that's sizable that is 309 Canadian dollars so your kilometerage may vary for this yeah it's interesting like you know after seeing 360i dev and of course WWC you know um, in the, I think the majority of uh, talks at 360i dev were, were recorded ahead of time you know then the the uh, as we mentioned before the speaker was there to, to participate in the Slack channel during the talk, right, uh, and do a Q&A afterwards. But um, that was a pretty successful uh, way of doing a conference, right? And uh, you've, you've been to one virtual one since two, haven't you, honey, since this whole thing started? Um, you went to a, uh, a meetup, right? It did the meetup. Uh, actually, today and tomorrow is um, mm-hmm. the API specifications conference, which I've been attending virtually. Um, it's the one I posted on Twitter is, is like rocking my ASC 2020 shirt. Right. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's it's a lot easier to to connect into these conferences, you know, if and when I'm available versus, you know, before uh, pre-pandemic world, you would have sort of had to to make plans sort of upfront. Like, I, I think this particular conference, the API specification conference, I think that was in Vancouver, British Columbia last year. So not not unreasonable that maybe, you know, week of I might decide, all right, I'm going to take some time off and, and go drive up, you know, Seattle to Vancouver is not that far. Um, but for people who aren't conveniently in the neighborhood, uh, you probably 
would have had to, to think of some air travel. Uh, but that's that's not the case in a virtual world. You can just decide, you know, day of, hey, you know, I think I've got a light schedule. I think I can go ahead and do this and sign up and, and be ready. No harm, no foul, no fuss, no muss. Well, they're also doing workshops too. Did they mention what the workshops are? Oh, here we go. There's a link. Yeah, I've never attended an NS Spain. I've, I've heard good things about their, their conference though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Marin went to one once. Sounds familiar. Probably, yeah, probably very cool. What else you got for us? The other pick, given that we talked about AR Quick Look related to the Apple events uh, logo, is this augmented reality page that they've got um, specifically around AR Quick Look. So developer at Apple.com has a whole bunch of different 3D models you can you can try out on your, your iOS device. And they show examples of showing that with custom actions, custom banners, Apple Pay, and then some out there in the real world examples that people have of, of real products like the, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if this is Hurricane or Huracan Evo RWD Spider uh, sports car that's out there. Uh, the Sophie bag, which looks like a real thing I think I've seen. And the thing I definitely recognize, the Bethesda gear, which this looks like a Fallout um, helmet from the, the Fallout series of video games that they make. Right, right. Does this mean like it's a full-size car? You know, that was actually the one I... I'm not really a car person, uh, truth be told. So that was actually one of the ones I didn't try. So I didn't see oh, really? what size your house it came car, up yeah. to be. Uh, I tried out like the little Tinker Toys. Um, I think I tried out the, uh, the like gramophone. You know, I should have tried the wheelbarrow. That would have been a, a nice, interesting size. And then I tried out, tried out the uh, Bethesda helmet. See what that would look like. All right, right now, live on the show. Over to the, uh, your link here. Click on the link with my phone. It's annoying that uh, Google's changed the way that these things work. So just click on one of these. I'll click on this plane. Clicking on the plane. Come on, plane. Oh, here we go. Oh, look, there's a plane in my... The plane looked like a, a toy plane by plane. Yeah. But that spider sports car is one I was kind of interested to see would be... That's more realistic oh, size. It's on the floor. That's cool. It's not full size. I'm doing it now. Okay, so it, it's not like the kind that you small. could pretend to, to sort of walk up to. Well, and, and, and it's pre- still having me move my phone around. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah. I don't know yet. I remember when Google was doing those, oh, here are these animals sort of thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, wolves are enormous. Like I knew... Oh, rash sorry. They were I big. take it back. It is full size. How about that? Oh, there you go. Car? So there's I have a... have to back up here. Because <laughs> the sports car fills up your room, your condo. Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's very strange because I can't... I have my phone. Okay, I'm going to have to unplug my phone because I can't move it around enough. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was 14 that does the occlusion, right? Uh, no, I, I think they started adding occlusion in in 13. And it was even better when you have uh, the iPad Pro, I think, with the... Um with the hardware that has the um, the 3D sensor in the back. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to figure out my, it figures out my floor, but not my, uh, it can't figure out that I've got a couch in the, in the room. Mark driving his car. Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference between AR and object in this uh, choice? Honey? If you click on object, it turns off the camera, so you just see the object, you can move it around. Oh, yeah, you're just I seeing see. the 3D object in that case and not seeing it augmenting so reality. That's saying the car. Mm-hmm. I'm going to click on the car, but it's a, you said it's a full-size car, right? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of furniture in my phone. Can you move your phone? Oh, the Bethesda God. gear kind of sounds like a kind of looks like a Cylon a little bit old school Cylon. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a bit of inspiration there. That style got a little bit. Mark, of... Did you try? Did you try moving the car? The car? No, it's too big. No, no. I mean, you just grab it with your finger. Oh, let it go. I was actually moving. Oh, see, I've got it behind me now. But I was moving it so that oh, I got a wheel. I got a wheel on my head. But I was moving it so that uh, I was sitting in the driver's seat on my ceiling. Close it already. Oh well. Great. I mean, now I've got a car on my ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. If you if you pinch you can you can zoom but you can also oh, rotate it i just killed my phone i think i'm stuck in a wheel wall yeah i'm stuck in a wheel wall oh well <laughs> that's a big model interesting 
All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is Mike Van Ogmans, MTJC's favorite voiceover artist for some reason. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. get a lot of spam with that Snapsoft email. I'm going to have to stop using it. It's the MTJC bump. Yeah. (laughs) We don't publish it anywhere. They would have to listen to the to the show, and it, it's probably cost prohibitive to just you know oh to get yet another email address to spam. I'm going to have my technology crawl the web, do transcriptions, look for things that sound like they could be email addresses, and then add them to the list. Like not saying it, it isn't feasible. I just didn't realize that it would be you know cheap enough to do given the return mm, investment. Somebody did, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like yeah, it's totally possible that you know the since our our feed is out there that um, people could be using uh, some sort of technology like YouTube or whatever to, like, the auto-translate that they have, right? But, I mean, how would it pick up Smapsoft from, from, you don't spell it like I spell my name, right? I don't get, I don't get strange people following me on Twitter. Well, I mean, do, I do, but and thanks for following me, by the way, strange people, but <laughs> I don't get, well, like, a lot of them, you know? I guess you could do variations. If, if the thing figured out, this is something I believe to be an email address, now try doing those one or two character oh, off right. sort of differences to see if I hit something. Yeah, but I think it's much probably much more easier to send him spam the conventional way, right? It does seem like, you know, rather than merely, you know, going to the ocean and and getting a net and getting some fish, Mm -hmm. setting up a whole sniper mechanism waiting for one fish to cross in front of the barrel and then shoot it. It does seem like a lot. Maybe buy what you want. Yeah, a a little effort. Oh, I got the uh, masks, finally. They finally did. Oh, good. Hey, all right. Yeah, very nice. Now all you have to do is go outside. Yeah. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, you know... (laughs) They don't help against the smoke. <laughs> no, they do have a pocket for filters. So if you had to go yeah, out, okay. it, yeah. it would That's be better true. than, than probably a lot of other masks. Right yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't bother putting a filter in mine. Carol's working on some other designs too. As well, but yeah, those are uh, those are the ones hand printed by me and Carol. It's unfortunate how tracking just does not work cross borders, and it just sort of mysteriously disappears for a while. Like you'll see updates. Mm-hmm. All right, 
right? Mm-hmm. Canada Post. All right, it, it went from, you know, whatever it is in Toronto to like a slightly different place in Toronto. Cool. Nothing. Nothing. Hey, it eventually crossed the United States. Yeah. But do you have, did you have a tracking number you can follow? Not for this one, but you, you've sent stuff no, before no. that, that showed up as uh, trackable stuff. Okay. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carol always uses the cheapest shipping she can. Right. So that's why it probably took a while, Mark. <laughs> it, it's well, taken a while with like. The Bay Area is just awful right now for mail. Just awful. Yeah. You were saying. Yeah. yeah crazy. Uh, thought I'd heard people talking about like a 70 some degree swing in some parts of the U.S. in uh, temperature. And it went from like close to the hundreds to down to the 30s, which I don't know if that's the Colorado area, but I had some. Oh, yeah. The Colorado, Colorado folks, the Colorado folks were talking about that on, on Zoom today. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. That it was, it was a swing that big. It was, it was like in the hundreds and now it's about to snow. Crazy. No. Yeah. yeah it's like really. in the 30s. Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Why is that? I wonder. Some weird, weird cold weather, fronts. Weather swing. Yeah. Well, mind you, in isn't, don't they have the crazy weather like Calgary, Alberta? Um, you can, it can snow any, any month of the year and does, right? So you can get snow in August, snow in July. But don't they usually, you know, hover, uh, not necessarily like a degree or two, but you know, within 10, 20, 30 degrees, this is, this is in, in LA's worth of temperature that they, that they lost, which is, is mm-hmm. mind blowing mm-hmm. 70 degrees. Yeah. We went, we went down quite a bit here, but not like, not like, like it's cold. Like I'm, I'm actually wearing long jeans and socks and a sweatshirt today. Right. Like yesterday as well, because it just all of a sudden got cold. It's definitely fall. Yeah. Your, your weather there in Toronto seems from an outsider who, you know, doesn't follow your weather, but just, you know, once a week we talk about it in, in this, you know, uh, this zoom call. I, I swear from my perspective, it seems like one week you're like, sorry, the furnace is running. It's super cold. We've got it cranked up. And then the very next week, again, it feels like is, oh, I'm sweating bullets. You know, I don't have the fan on sort of thing. It's like, wait, what? How is it possible? Yeah. yeah. Well, not, not quite that. But yeah, I think I think over a two, two month plan, we can two months period, we can have quite a swing in temperature. But like, you know, yeah, we go from plus 40 to minus 40, like in a year easily. Wait, really? Plus 40? So you're getting like 100 degrees? Yeah, we can. Fahrenheit? Yeah. Wow. I don't think we went that high this year. I think we probably went like 35 maybe this year, this summer. We'll know what we peak, but yeah, we can get quite cold too in the winter. Obviously. Not in August. Yeah, it does swing. Like it, it gets so cold here, it won't snow. <laughs> no, that's pretty bad. Anyway. Yeah. By the way, I just want to make a note here that that so I I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but like for uh, Greg noticed on on um, I think uh, June twenty seventh was around the, around that time when he noticed that there's some sort of mechanical staticky noise happening just on my track, right? And I've been scratching my head trying to figure out what the heck is going on. I mean, I know I use an analog mic and and I assume it's grounded. Um, you know, I I've changed, I've gone back to the cable I was using my XLR cable that I was using, you know, for the last couple of years, which didn't seem to have a problem. But I think the problem is the grounding on my Mac and I've been doing some searching around on, on the interwebs and um, apparently there's there's an issue with the two prong uh, power adapter that we use because it doesn't have a third prong it's not properly grounded and so it's whether or not I'm touching the computer or not touching the computer as to whether or not the static shows up so today as an experiment just to see how it goes I'm only using my display port adapter I'll, I'll talk about that in my pick and a USB-C to plug my uh, my microphone and, and, and my preamp into right so we'll see if, if hopefully Knock on wood, I don't get any. I have some wood here, right here. Hopefully, I don't get any uh, any static in my track today. So but it, it's, I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out where it's coming from, and it's a real pain because the only way to get rid of it is to actually put a lot of denoise filters on, and I sound like I'm underwater a lot of times, right? Anyway, technical issues, challenges. So apologies to those of you who noticed it on the shows previously. Hopefully, I'm working on trying to figure out what the what the heck it is. 
And you know what's interesting, Jaime, is it didn't really show up as much on Spotcast as it did on the Morning Just Code was horrible last week, the hmm. track ad. Even if I used the, the, the Zoom thing, the Zoom panel, it still had a bit of, you could hear it a bit in there too, even though Zoom kind of smooths a lot of that junk out, right? Yeah, I don't hear it at all. I mean, yeah, I know you don't track. hear it now, and, and I don't, yeah. obviously don't hear it now either, but it's like what what I'm doing is I'm recording with QuickTime directly onto my Mac, and of course there's no, you know, can't, no interface, there's no VU meters, there's no sort of, I can't see any sort of odd thing happening. All I, all I get is like a, a meter that shows the volume at which I'm speaking, right? But yeah, it's, it's really, really annoying. Anywho.